Jungle Groove Base, this is Branco Beauty. We have run aground just south of Manaus. All hands are fine. We will wait till the tides change. Over. This Justin. A Jungle Cruise skipper reports spotting the lost safari near the African veldt. As you may recall, this safari has remained missing longer, yet had more sightings than any other in history. The weather at our outpost today? Hot and humid. Monsoons are expected to arrive here later this week, turning the weather to hot and humid. Yeah, this is Chief Nama. He's the head salesman here in the jungle, but lately business has been tricky. He's offering you a special deal. Two of his heads for just one of yours. In the way you slice it or dice it, you come out ahead. W Radio. Your information station. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show. This is show number 24 for the week of July 22nd, 2007. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and I want to thank you for tuning in once again. We'll start off this week with some news and views from Walt Disney World, as well as a quick trip to the Walt Disney World rumor mill. Next, Fred Block, founder of Magic Meets, will join me as we recap the Magic Meets 2007 event. Grab your gear, as we're going to do another Disney scene investigation, this time into the deepest, darkest, and dangerous of all the queues in Walt Disney World, the Jungle Cruise. We'll look at the details, jokes, and wonderful references to characters, films, and Imagineers that are subtly hidden throughout. And for this one, you'll need to use your ears as well as your eyes. I'll look at another hidden treasure of Walt Disney World, and even a treasure within a treasure, as I'm joined by Jason Zucker, cast member and Disney artist, as we introduce you to a true gem at the Disney MGM Studios. I've been remiss in answering your emails only due to lack of time, but I promise to get to a ton of them this week, as well as your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. And now, a WDW Radio Show News and Views Report. Live from the WDW Radio Studios in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. This week's news and views from Walt Disney World is going to start off with some rumors that are now news, as Disney has revealed that later on this year, construction will be completed on a new stage for the Star Wars Jedi Training Academy over at the Disney MGM Studios. The stage is going to cover a large patio area outside the Star Tours attraction, although it's unclear as to what elements of the current facade are going to remain, such as the Ewok Village and or the Adat Walker. What we do know is that the facility will cover a rectangular area about 140 feet long by 96 feet wide. And just to put it into perspective, that's about more ground than two NBA-sized basketball courts put side by side. So it's expected that as many as 12 or so young Jedis are going to be able to compete on stage and receive instructions up to eight times per day when the show becomes a permanent fixture. Another rumor that's now news is over at the Magic Kingdom, where Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party is going to return later on this year, but now it's been plussed. The 25-year-old tradition is now going to get the rumored Castle Light Show, where Cinderella Castle is going to be adorned with thousands of shimmering white lights covering the turrets and towers like a glistening blanket of ice, creating a very wintry-style effect. Lightning the Castle becomes a dream-come-true moment as Cinderella joins Minnie, Mickey, and the gang for the nightly ceremony. Also, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Parade is likely going to be replaced or revised somehow and is now going to be recalled 
Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas Time Parade. Staying over at the Magic Kingdom, evening extra magic hour policies have changed slightly as of last week, as now there are wristband checkpoints stationed at the entrance to each land off the hub, and only guests with wristbands are going to be allowed to proceed past these checkpoints. Guests who may be wandering or shopping along Main Street may actually be asked to proceed out of the park during peak times, as opposed to earlier policies which allowed them to often remain and roam around at their leisure. You can take one of the big Year of a Million Dreams prizes off your wish list, as Angela Deere and her family from Vancouver, British Columbia, made history last week by being the first Canadians to become honorary Disney royalty for one week with, get this, a private overnight stay at both Walt Disney World's Cinderella Castle and the Mickey Mouse Penthouse at the Disneyland Resort. Don't worry, though, there's still hundreds of thousands of Year of a Million Dreams prizes to be given away, as well as many of the big ticket items still on Disney's list. Now, because it was a short week in the Walt Disney World news section, what do you say we head on over and go right into the Walt Disney World rumor mill? And now, a trip to the Walt Disney World rumor mill. I've spoken earlier about the rumored changes to the O Canada film in Epcot's World Showcase Canada Pavilion. Well, it's now rumored that when the pavilion opens after a brief refurb to update the film on August 25th, Martin Short, the comedian, may be the new narrator. Now, this very well may not bode well for the new movie, as Martin has been in two other films in Walt Disney World that are now history. One was The Making of Me in the Wonders of Life Pavilion, and the other was The Monster Sound Show. Now, while the narration will probably change, the O Canada song will remain, but there's another new rumor that supposedly the song may remain in some form or fashion, but that Eve Avila, who is the 2006 Canadian Idol winner, may have recorded this theme song for the new attraction. It's yet to be confirmed if this is the actual original song or it's a completely new song just with the same title. It's expected that we will hear something officially from Disney probably on or about the time that the new film is supposed to open in August. I have some updates to the rumored Tinkerbell meet and greet that's supposed to come over to the Magic Kingdom. What I am starting to hear is that Tink will probably not be heading on over to the old Swiss Chalet building over in Fantasyland that was home to the Skyway to Tomorrowland. Instead, she is going to go and take over part of Mickey's Toontown Fair. The part of the meet and greet that currently features the friends of Mickey, such as Minnie, Pluto, Goofy, etc., will be replaced with Tinkerbell and her friends. Uh, they are not going to be going into the other tent where the princes are going and said they're going to take over this section of the tent. It's not know where the displaced characters may go when this does take place. I'm also being told of rumors about the ABC Theater over at the Disney MGM Studios, as a number of people have told me that something is definitely going to be going there in some form or fashion, probably later on this year, and the only hint that they were able to give was that it was, quote, something that fans have always wanted. Now, that supposedly is the detail that was given to cast members on the same level as the person that reported this to me. Again, I unfortunately don't have any more details than that. As I do hear anything or as you hear anything, please let me know and I'll definitely talk about it on the show. Staying at the Disney MGM Studios, again, rumors of the Backlot Tour being taken down are starting to persist once again. People are starting to tell me that the entire attraction may be removed and replaced with two rides. One of these rides could possibly be a Monsters, Inc. roller coaster that would be floorless and take you kind of through the door scenes with a possible front and back-facing back seat configuration, much like you'd see over at Toy Store Mania. Again, this is very, very much a, a 
big, big rumor. Uh, put that in big neon lights when I say rumor because I have not heard anything of any sort of specifics or anything specifically from Disney about this. But as I hear more, I will let you know. And finally, rumors of John Lasseter's influence uh, at the company and specifically at Epcot are coming back as well. And some of what's being sent to me hints of his desire to create a new figment attraction in Epcot including the removal of the entire Honey, I Shrunk the Audience show to make this something on a much larger, much grander scale. Again, uh, this is very much an early rumor. I don't have anything um, in any sort of official capacity from that, but I wanted to throw it out there anyway. And as I hear more, I'll let you know. And of course, if you hear any rumors that you want to report or talk about on the show, by all means, uh, send me an email to lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. You know, ever since I started with with the books and and all the Disney stuff that I've been able to do, I really consider myself so fortunate for all the things that have come from it. And most of all, more than anything else, it's really been about the people that I've met and the community that I've able to to become a part of. And it's it's a community that, for me, has really grown into a family of sorts. And, And part of that community and that family has been the ability to meet so many incredible people and make so many wonderful friends. And one of the things that I really consider myself fortunate to be a part of is something that's happened for the fourth time this past weekend, and that's the Magic Meets Fan Gathering. And and I know I'm starting off a little sappy, but I have to say that I also consider myself very fortunate to call the founder my friend, and that's Fred Block, and I want to welcome him to the show this week. Hey, I'm very happy to hear, be here. Uh, thanks a lot, Lou. All right, so first question out of the box. Have you recovered as yet? <laughs> no, no I, I haven't. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I cannot believe how, uh, how much this meat has taken out of me this year. It was, uh, it was a lot of work and, um, and a lot of uh, late nights and uh, not much sleep, but uh, very well worth it in the long run and, and a fantastic time. I can't believe how well everything went overall. Well, I, I was going to say, you know, all the work and all the preparation and and all the stress that I was able to pay witness from our phone calls and getting together, Fred, it was so worth it. It was such, and I'm not saying this because I have to and because your check cleared, but it was such an amazing <laughs> day. It, not even a day, the whole weekend. The whole weekend was just incredible. And for people who that, that were there, and if you're there, you know what I mean when I say that you get it, you know what I'm talking about. Because it started not on Saturday morning when the meet kicked off. I mean, for a lot of us, we, we got there on Thursday. And that's when it started, because when I saw that ballroom and I saw the difference in the venue from this year to, from, to last year to the first little mini-meet that you had in Edison, New Jersey, four years ago, I was blown away. You know, you, 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 you say it was a mini-meet in Edison, New Jersey. You know, what's really funny is that that is the truth um, and compared to what, we've, what it's become. And a little trivia tidbit, but uh, I don't know if everybody knows, but you were one of the few people that was actually at all of my meets. Um, and so, so you definitely can compare, you know, when I had everybody at the meet stand up, uh, everybody at those four tables stand up, which approximately was 40 people, you know, everybody looked over to that side of the room and I said, this was the number of people at my first meet. You know, and, and to this day, you know, standing up on that stage and looking at 520 people, um, it blows me away. It really does. It blows me away. It, it, it did too. And, and I always tell the stories. You know, the, 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 when I went to the first meet that you had, 
I mean, literally because it was in my backyard and, and we had started talking, I had no idea what to expect. I, ha- I didn't even know what a Disney meet was. I didn't. And I remember telling my wife, and I was like, listen, if this is really stupid, just pretend that you're sick and we'll blow out of here. And <laughs> I was amazed at what I saw what I when I went there, that, that, that people that just share this common passion for Disney could get together in a room and we had a great time. And that was when I met you and, you know, your family and your, your father-in-law and John Rick, who, who's the other from the Central Jersey Disney Pin Traders, all of whom have grown to be friends. And now to see it grow to what it's become, you know, there's there's so many things I look forward to during the year. Again, I'm not just saying it. Magic Meets literally is a, is a thing on, on my calendar every year that I look forward to more than anything else. Wow, that, that that's a coincidence. Me too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see if you feel that way the week before again this year. <laughs> you know, it's funny too because I stress so much, and everybody who knows me when I'm planning knows that I stress. Thank God this know, isn't probably, a video podcast because if you could see my face right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, making that. Yeah, right. You know, I, I stress so much before. You know, the month before the meet uh, because I'm always wrapping up those last minute details, and and I'm a I'm, I'm somewhat of a perfectionist. You know, because I want everything to be just right i've gone through like i've gone through so much effort to make sure that this was done correctly and that was done correctly and then i find out that there was a few things that i need to tap off and then i have to make those correct and you know you run out of time um but eventually like i've been telling everybody once wednesday came around the wednesday before the meet and thursday came around and people started coming there was nothing left for me to do you know, except for, you know, hang on tight, go for the ride. And the, the meat just kind of takes over and, and takes on a life of its own. And uh, we just go along with it. And, and aside from a few setbacks here and there and, and us doing, you know, and fixing those things like we're used to, I, I can't believe how smoothly everything went, especially with a new hotel, a new venue, you know, new conference center. Uh, everything was just fantastic. I, I'm really looking forward to uh, doing it again there next year. And it was, and I and I know both being as a guest and from talking to other people, and even from the other side, because I, I was with you early and I saw the setup and I saw the stress, it was seam- seamless. I mean, it really went off without a hitch, and everybody, and I, I think I can speak for it, had such a good time because there was so much to it, and it and those little details that you stressed about, like like the tent cards not being propped up enough at, at 2 o'clock in the morning and the night before, it made a difference. Those little details made the difference. Um, but more so than anything else, and it's something that we talked about at the meet, and it's something that's been talked about after the meet, and um, I'm going to put a link up in the show notes over to All Ears Net, because Mike Scopa um, put a blog post up this morning that really kind of quantifies the whole thing very eloquently, <laughs> but um, bring your tissues if you've been there, but yeah, I mean, here I am at work, and 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 I, and you know, I'm I'm reading this at my office, and and I'm you know, I'm starting to tear up reading it, and I'm going, I'm looking, everybody's going to look at me and think I'm like, there's something wrong. <laughs> no, because <laughs> they, they don't get it. <laughs> they thought there was something wrong when they saw you flying around on your Segway all day on Saturday. <laughs> Man, that thing saved me this weekend. I'll tell you. I, I, my knee, my knee has been bothering me, and honestly, I don't think I would have been able to do it if I wasn't able to just zoom around on that thing like I did. I mean, if we didn't know how stressed at you, it was actually kind of funny watching you go, you know, zipping across. But it was, you know what? It, it was great, and I had such a good time. And like Mike actually said, part of the fun for me personally was getting there early and and helping everybody else set up and and looking at the room kind of come together, you know, as the tables came together and the balloons showed up and. The other, the other sponsors showed up and, and everything just started to kind of 
fill that room up. It, it was an amazing transformation. And then when those people filed in, that that was the amazing part because that's really what the whole meets about is the people. Yeah, you know something that's funny. I think one of the highlights for my day um, was I went out in the hall to to greet some of the people that were waiting in line and and say hello and so on and so forth. And at that point, we had started letting people into the ballroom, but uh, it didn't really hit me until I came back around from the end of the line and back to the front and I went right back into the main entrance and I looked at all the people that were in there. Um, you know, that's when I, I kind of stopped there and, and, and I just grinned and I looked and I, I had that I had that little moment that, you know, you know, it, it, it was ready to start and I was ready to go. That's what that's what I had. It was really it was really cool. Well, I mean, I, I know, you know, for me, what it meant to other people and I only can imagine for you after doing all that work and having this idea four years ago to become what it was, uh, you know, you, you must have felt like like the, the proud father. <laughs> And it is, you know, and, and, and my family is all the people that help make this, you know, event happen. And, you know, I've always said that it's not just me, you know, I'm, I'm the guy behind the curtain with the big voice. But, you know, the, the, it's, it's the volunteers, it's the sponsors, it's the speakers, you know. We, co- we all come together for a day of, 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 as Mike calls it and has coined the phrase Disney magic, you know. He, it, we come together and, and, and we all make it happen, you know, whether it be through uh, little magic moments like, you know, uh, the, the little boy who came up to me and remembered, reminded me that I gave him a button um, at MouseFest uh, when he was crying. I mean, he, I, could, I didn't even remember him, but he remembered me and I was so blown away by that, you know, or, or, or the amazing uh, job that was done with the, with the Dream Team auction. You know, and nine thousand dollars raised. You know, we we blew away last year's <laughs> figures. Blew away. I couldn't believe it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and it's just uh, a, a lot of thing. A lot of great things happen. A lot of good smiles and happy people. And I'm still to. I'm still getting emails today. You know, to this day. You know, from people thanking us and and you know, I'm humbled by it all. Well, you know, Mike said Mike's the topic of Mike's keynote speech at the beginning of the day summed it up well it was called why we do what we do and that's what it's all about it is why we do what we do and that's why the volunteers basically pay to come to a meet and work you know they do it because of the smiles and and the auction i mean i can't say enough good things about you know pat and all the people from the auction that you know like you for a year basically planned for this and when the the number of nine thousand dollars came out um you know, I, I say it half-jokingly, to, to, for me to be speechless, you know it's a lot. And uh, I never could have imagined it. And, and for you to allow us to do it there, um, you know, I can't say thanks enough. And it really is. You're talking about making magic. Well, well there you go. Yeah, I, I tell you, that was another highlight of my day. And, and that was because here we are. You know, we kind of knew there was a big number coming. We anticipated it. And, and um, you know, and, and Pat was already teary-eyed before we even revealed the number, you know, and, and I'm looking at her and I'm going, wow, what did we really do? Because she, you know, I was preparing myself to, you know, to ball like a little baby again. And, 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 uh, and, and, and when the figure came out and I, I, I had the microphone in my hand and I vividly remember, I mean, this was so surreal. I vividly remember announcing the, you know, us announcing the dollar amount. And then, and then we had nothing to say. Like, I, I realized that we were all sitting there quiet, the yeah. three of us up at the front. And then I listened, and the whole room was silent. Yeah. And, and everybody was just in, in the Disney zone. 
And, and I realized, well, maybe I better take this microphone and start talking. <laughs> I'm getting all choked up just thinking about it right now. Well, that's why but, I told I told people, do not tell me the figure before I'm supposed to go up and speak because I never would have kept it together. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. It was it was very difficult, but you know, it look that that that, that number is a testament to everybody that gave you gave us space and other people gave donations and other people gave money for the donations other people just made financial contributions outside of the auction to make that number happen and uh, you know t- to say thank you and to say that that i'm just completely humbled and overwhelmed by it is, is an understatement but it, it's not about me it's about what everybody did and that money's going to go to make a wish and uh, uh you want to talk I about think you made, i think it's I think it's going to make a few wishes, Lou. Yeah, yeah it uh, will. Not just one. It will. So, but all right, all right, past all the mushy stuff, there was a lot of fun to be had on this day, too. Uh-huh. Uh, and for people that were there, you know, they all know it. And the people that weren't, you know, start getting online now because, you know, the meat sold out in 10 days and you've got to make sure you attend next year because you, you put together something great because it was a combination of not just all of us as fans getting together to just meet new people and, and get to see old friends and talk about Disney. But you had great speakers. You had Mike Scopa and you had uh, Dave Marks and Deb Wills and John Rick and Tim Foster and Steve Barrett, who I, I have to mention Steve because Steve allowed himself to be auctioned off <laughs> for the charity auction. And, we, and Steve raised, I, I think, the highest amount. Somebody paid uh, a great deal of money to tour the parks with Steve. So, so we appreciate that. But uh, you had Kevin Fawner and, and Annette Owens and so many people that really had so many different things for people to get involved in and go to the breakout rooms and there was the kids room. Um, it, it was just awesome. It was just awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I, you know the the speakers are definitely a serious portion of the day. Um, you know, being able to listen and learn and and hear experiences. You know, it's 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 what helps keep that Disney that Disney mood going all day long and reminds us that you know, you know, actually it helps us forget that where we really are is in <laughs> somewhere in the middle of Pennsylvania. <laughs> right. You know, and 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 all of us would love to be you know at Disney more than anything, but you know what? It, I, I honestly, I just I just can't imagine. A much happier and friendlier place than to be in that room on, on that day with more people who get it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, that, and that's what I think makes the day so easy and, and to go along is because we all get it. And it's, it's so easy to just go up and say hi to somebody and, you know, and, and MEI and Mouse Fan Travel did a fantastic job with the bingo game again. You know, it helps people spread around and, and actually, you know, learn and, and, and meet each other and, and introduce each other, you know, to strangers. So that gets the day started also. I really thought that was a great thing. Yeah. And you're right. You know, it's something that we all alluded to during the day that, you know, there's 520 people in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And if you don't get it, you're going, wait a minute, you're going to Harrisburg to go and sit in a room and talk to the Disney fans. But I think for most of the people listening, they do get it and they do understand. And you saw, you know, so many people at the beginning of the day, you know, hugging each other when they saw old friends and, and new friends that they made, they were exchanging information and, and you know, um, it was just it, somehow, I don't know how to describe it, that Disney magic was captured and it was brought into that ballroom. Well, I love I love seeing the people that, like, go solo 
and and some of them actually recognize the people that were solo last year. And I know a couple of, a couple of people came up to me at the end of the day and said, "Oh yeah, I come I come alone every year." But I was walking through the ballroom when I first came in, and these people that I sat with last year were here this year, and we ended up sitting together again. And and I'm thinking to myself, well, you never would have met each other if it wasn't for this event. So mm -hmm. it, it's it's a really cool thing to bring people together. I like that. And there was something for everybody. There was something for kids it was something for adults um, like you said there was games going on there were breakout sessions um you know unfortunately somebody else was live podcasting my plan to sabotage them didn't work probably because i couldn't i couldn't find my step stool and get up there to cut their cables <laughs> well the booster seat might have helped yeah but. <laughs> yeah you know for those of you that won't there i i have i have a good sense of humor and the uh the, the joker is over at uh, whatever the name of that other show is the matt hotchberg dinosaur fest show kept coming over to my table when i wasn't there and they put signs up you know half you know a few feet up saying you must be this tall to sit at this table and they put a booster seat there saying reserved for lou munch <laughs> oh yeah it's all fun and games haha <laughs> yeah but you i like what you did with the hat too that was pretty good <laughs> you know what it, it's all in fun and we all are, are we really are all such good friends and we are part of a big it's not just a community it is part of a family and that's what i think magic meets really demonstrates other than matt hotchberg i consider everybody else part of my family <laughs> even though matt's you know ah forget it yeah yeah <laughs> stop while you're ahead yeah make sure you show up for the matt and deanna dinosaur ride coming this this mouse festival <laughs> Kind of like, you know, cruise with Dev and Steve. Well, go on Dinosaur with Deanna and Matt. It's funnier to us because we know we're talking. People who have who weren't there are like, what are these guys laughing about? Yeah, everybody's scratching their head saying, Lou, why did you edit this part out? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's all in fun. And that's what the whole meet's all about. And from the people who were there the night before and got together to the meet and just hanging out you know at dinner afterwards or, or the bar or the 160 people that went to Hershey whatever it was the next day um, yeah, it, it's really was, become it's more than just a single few hours it's become you know an event it's become a weekend long event yeah, I've come to learn that the storm runner over at Hershey Park is definitely a quicker way to wake up than a cup of coffee <laughs> or a cold shower because um, I was beat I was I was yeah. so beat, tired, and, and we got into Hershey. You know, it's really funny, too, and I don't want to keep running on, but um, uh, we pulled up to Hershey, and, you know, you got to pay to park there. And, and I was wearing my Magic Meat shirt, obviously. Um, so, so, you know, I wanted to walk around Hershey Park showing everybody Magic Meats, and they're all probably going, like, who are these guys? But anyway, the woman looks at me in the car, and she goes, hey, did you have a good time yesterday? And I'm going, Huh? <laughs> and I looked at her, and then she sticks her hand out and shows me that she had a red armband on. And and I'm like, wow, she was at Magic Meets. <laughs> she uh, said that to me, too. <laughs> and and I, I was so blown away by that because, you know, she recognized, you know, that, you know, obviously. And, and I just thought it was really cool, you know. It, and Hershey Park definitely got a good dose of Magic Meets fans because we had like six, 60 or 70 people that showed up for the early entry and the exclusive ride time over at the Storm Runner. Yeah, it and that's thanks again to another volunteer that made that happen. So that's um, correct. It, it was Cindy just Barfinkel worked, yeah. her, worked her tail off. A, a lot of people did. A lot of people did, and yep. you know, we we just I could spend all four hours of my show naming names, but uh, you know, know that that you know that all those people are are all their efforts are really appreciated. So um, 
And there you are the next day thinking about next year already. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Stop I always, it. Stop I, always it. <laughs> see, I always take a couple months off after the meet is over to try to, you know, clear my head and and then uh and then I start going back into meat mode a little bit, but you know, I also have to plan for Mouse Fest. So, uh there's a lot going on, getting ready to go on and and I'm going to I'm going to take my two months off and then I'll I'll get ready to go back into high gear after that. Good. Well, if you can't tell by now, I I can't say enough good things about the meet. I mean, Fred, I, I really and I'm I'm being honest when I say I I'm honored to, to be a part of it. I'm honored that that you allow me to to come and, and speak and be a part of, of the Disney magic that you create. And I've been there for four years. And you, if you'll have me back, I will be there next year. Well, you're always going to be welcome, and and I appreciate the contribution that you bring to the event, and and also uh, I, I'm I'm more than happy to host the the Dream Team auction, you know. And as long as you guys keep wanting to do it, you know, we'll always have a space for you there. Thank you, and to, and to all the people who uh, are listening, who came over and said hello, and and you know talked about the show and stuff, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, um, I appreciate you guys coming by and, and supporting me and supporting Fred and, and everything else that went went on. So um, I'm going to put links up in the show notes to uh, Mike Scopa's blog over at allearsnet.com. I'll put some links up to some forum posts where people have posted a lot of pictures from the auction, including uh, all of us standing there agape when the uh, when the thing was. was uh, when the auction amount was announced, as well as over to magicmeets.com. I'm sure Fred will update the site with some more information there. Uh, I'm sure on your community, other communities that you go to, you'll find lots of information and photos as well. And uh, Fred, I'm going to have you back on relatively soon and give us more updates about what's going to happen in 2008, because I know people are going to be anxious to, to get on that list and, and get, get their admission. You got it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're ready. And, and the, the dates the dates already been put out. Um, at least at the meet it was and, uh, and I'll tell everybody here also it's July 19th uh, of 2008 Saturday July 19th 2008 at the same place uh, the Radisson Hotel and Conference Center in Camp Hill cool. so and you will be looking you, forward you, to it you are going to be at Mouse Fest this year correct yes I am I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be at Mouse Fest with my ears on and uh, <laughs> hopefully this time I'm actually going to do a couple meets um, and uh, I'm also doing the uh, the, the cruise portion, uh, so lots of stuff that I got to try to prepare for. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So good. If you if you haven't had a chance to meet Fred, definitely come by if you're going to be around Mouse Fest and and meet Fred. He's a great guy, and he can learn more about magic meets and stuff there. Fred, buddy, thank you so much for everything that you did for the event and for the auction and for allowing me to be a part of it and for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Uh, thanks for a lot for having me, and uh, I plan on having a lot of Magic Meets fans looking for me at Mouse Fest. So, you know, everybody better be prepared and buy your plane tickets. So, <laughs> thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it, Lou. You got it, buddy. Throughout Walt Disney World, there's a number of attractions that really don't start once you sit in your seat or get on a ride vehicle or the lights dim in a show. Many actually start as you approach the building, like Muppets or Everest, and actually specifically like Everest, they actually begin telling their stories and setting the stage for what's to come. 
This week, Jeff and I are going to feature one such attraction. It's a Disney classic. It appeals to adults and kids of all ages. Yes, even scaredy cats like Matt Hotchberg. And is rumored to be receiving a possible major upgrade. I'm talking, of course, about the Jungle Cruise. And of course, Jeff, as part of this DSI segment, is going to come along with me as we do a, uh, a detailed Disney scene investigation. Hey, Lou. How's it going today? Good, good. Jeff, this one's going to be a little bit different than what we normally do, because we're not going to focus on the attraction per se, but specifically the queue, where details just are, are plentiful, and there's wonderful references to characters and films and Imagineers and real people that are just subtly hidden throughout the entire queue. And these tributes can't only be seen, but could be heard. If you, if you look and you listen real carefully. And let's start with not the things that you see. Let's talk about some of the things that you can hear if you really pay close attention in the queue. Yeah, the, the very cool thing that was added, and I believe this pretty much was all reworked in 1994. They did a major expansion to the dock in the queue area. Uh, a lot of it was to cover it with shade. And, um, and they, they kind of created the whole jungle navigation company um, kind of backstory. And what you're referring to is the, um, the background music, which in this case, is it goes kind of beyond just kind of a looping background. It's actually tied into what is there in the queue. And it's a vintage, what they're calling a vintage radio broadcast. It's a, it's a broadcast where you're actually listening to a radio announcer who is kind of broadcasting in the middle of the jungle. And uh, at one point in the broadcast, they refer to it as the Global Broadcasting Service, the Voice of Civilization. And it's funny because it's very much in the time period. It's, it's the, the, the announcer is queuing up an old phonograph player. You hear him, like, laying the needle down <laughs> on the records. And they're playing, you know, music, uh, like songs like As Time Goes By, Moon Over Burma. At one point, there's, you know, you know, information coming over a teletype that he's reading the headlines to. Kind of like what I'm doing here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the primitive podcasting. That we <laughs> right. Do. But yeah, it's it, and and the way I believe you have to catch it is there's an actual radio prop in the queue area, right? I, it does play over the whole queue, though. Like it does play, in, in, you know, through overhead speakers, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it's that. But I, I could I. This is one of the things I'm a little rough on. Is I thought there's somewhere there was like an actual physical radio somewhere and i don't i never got an actual picture of it is i think there's one might be in the office um in, in okay. kind of a little office off to the side and sometimes you can't get to it um especially i think if you if the fast pass i think goes right by it and if the queue isn't completely open you don't necessarily get right in front of it but yeah that's the broadcast is just it's great it's just really great to listen to because again this is where the imagineers put details in and, and you and I were so used to talking about the visual details you know in, in all our DSIs we're, we're so much focused and here is something that is very much purely auditory but it's also going into Disney history and making reference to Disney personalities and um, we're going to play a couple of the audio bits here and you know then we'll come kind of come back and explain just what they mean next week the True Life Adventures Club will be holding its third annual meeting. Dr. Sears and Hibbler will be discussing their research on the African lion. Reverend Goff of the Jungle Mission will soon be returning to Holland and is seeking a home for two chimpanzees and a lion cub. If you can help, 
please call the Mission Veterinary Clinic. Yeah, and that audio isn't just a short loop. It's actually a long loop that goes through. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty lengthy uh, loop that goes through the queue. Yeah, I believe it's about it. It runs a little about little around an hour, I think. So now, if you're if you listen to the audio tracks there, um, there there's three key names that were brought in there. The first one, which is referring to the True Life Adventurers Club. Well, the great thing about this is, and for me to get up on my soapbox a little bit, this is what I truly love about Disney Disney theme parks, just Disney overall, is they're all about their heritage and. Again, when you go through the actual history of the Jungle Cruise, uh, the actual history of the attraction going all the way back to 1955 when it was conceived for Disneyland, it was originated as basically inspired by the True Life Adventure films. Uh, basically, in, in one of the earliest conceptions of Disneyland, Walt was actually calling it True Life Adventure Land and eventually ultimately shortened it. So when they're talking about in the audio the members of the True Life Adventurers Club, that's, you know you know, reference to the True Life Adventures and going back to that inspiration for the ride. Now here's an interesting part in this that Dr. Sears and Dr. Hibbler, they refer to two um, very key studio personnel from back in the 1950s. Ted Sears was a story man who started in the late 30s and he worked on a lot of animated productions like Snow White and Pinocchio and he then served as one of the primary writers on the True Life Adventure series. And Hibbler refers to Winston Hibbler who also a studio veteran, he was the primary storyman writer for the True Life Adventure series, but most notably, he was also the narrator of the series. He was that very soothing, folksy voice you heard as the narrator on all the True Life Adventure tales, and he also went on to do a lot of uh, narration work for the wonderful World of Disney TV show. Um, so that was very, very cool reference to the True Life Adventures. And then the Reverend Goff of the Jungle, Jungle Mission that is referenced as, you know, he's returning to Holland and, you know, he wants, he's looking for a home for his two chimps and a lion cub. That refers to Harper Goff, and Harper Goff is the person largely responsible for de developing the Jungle Cruise ride for Disneyland. Mm -hmm. So right there, just in that those quick audio kind of segments, you have some nice, very buried treasure. Yeah, and like you said, Harper Goff, I mean, all of them, you know, had so much of a tie to the True Life Adventure, especially Harper Goff. He did a lot of storyboards for what was originally going to be a, a short called 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He eventually decided to turn it or, and can help convince Walt Disney to turn it into um, a full-length feature film. As well as these, he did a lot of other things, too. Um, you might recognize the name Harper Goff when we talk about, uh, especially uh, Epcot and World Showcase. He did a lot of that, the concept artwork and storyboards for a lot of the pavilions there. So, again, that's one of the things that I'm sure people don't pay attention to and certainly don't necessarily pick up on those names. But like I said, I, I like the fact that they do pay homage to, to some of these sort of unheralded people. So where are we going from here? All right, so we're, we're past the audio portion. It's really where the queue really shines is the things that you can see all around as the queue as you walk in and even as you leave uh, the attraction. So let's just kind of pick some of the things through there. We'll, we'll try and point out some of the real fun things that you can see in and around the queue. One thing um, that you know, I want to bring up first, because it'll kind of come into play later very humorously, is the entrance sign. And the entrance sign is right there as you're, you're approaching kind of the dock area. And, you know, you kind of have the directions for, you know, fast pass and everything like that. And it's basically river cruise, exotic jungle cruise expedition, comfortable accommodations, train tour guides. The very bottom of the sign, there's a very small line that reads, we have yet to lose a boat. Now, everybody <laughs> kind of just log that away. Keep that in your memory. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. <laughs> Trust me, it's really going to be funny. We promise. Yeah. 
And, again, and, and what you say right there is dead on because, you know, everybody knows the whole, this, you know, contemporary incarnation of the Jungle Cruise is all about humor. It's all about laughs. It's all about having fun. And, you know, it's all, you know, everybody thinks of the Jungle Cruise primarily as your skipper and the humor that, you know, comes across as that they, as they do their spiels. And really, that is what the Imagineers have translated into the dock area. And that's so much of what we're going to be talking about is that kind of cornball, kind of funny kind of humor. Right. And you, and actually, you know, going back to the audio, you hear that a lot in that in the audio. You hear a lot of those, you know, corny announcements and kind of the banter. One thing you should listen for, too, there's a Cole Porter song in there called You're the Top. And there's actually a line in there. It says, you're the melody from a symphony by Strauss. You're an O'Neill drama. You're Whistler's mama. You're Mickey Mouse. So I guess kind of an auditory <laughs> hidden Mickey yeah. uh, in the queue. But you mentioned uh, the Fast Pass. And maybe that, that's a good place to start because that's where you can see some of the references to uh, real people and characters, specifically characters from the Adventurers Club um, that, that you'll find on some of the storage crates there. And, and the first one is Pamelia Perkins, who is the president of the Adventures Club. There's another one addressed to Trader Sam's Cranial Curios in London, England. And Trader Sam, as you know, is the head salesman of the Jungle Cruise. He is the uh, the uh, shrunken head guy near near the end of the Jungle right. Cruise. So there's two characters right there, one in the attraction, one outside the attraction, um, that's made made reference to. And that if we're, we kind of made a right there, didn't we? Right, we we're, we're kind of making a right fast into fast. into the into the the meat of the into the, the covered area of the queue. Yeah, and what's very interesting there is again, unless the lines get horrendously long, there's that whole right-hand area over there that largely goes unvisited, and there's a series of not necessarily they're not really referencing anything, but other than the settings of the ride itself. And as you know, most folks know, when on the Jungle Cruise, you're going down a series of rivers that represent. You know, rivers all around the world, the Congo, uh, the Amazon, um, I believe now. And there's a series of very, very neat kind of poster maps that are in that area that, you know, reference each of these different areas. There's, you know, um, follow the route of the Jungle Queen, uh, Passport to the River of the Pharaohs, Amazon River Fantasy. They're very, very stylized, very, very neat posters. And like I said, there's nothing particularly funny or connecting about them. They're just really neat. Right, and it also gives you a sense that you really are going on an expedition. And look at some of the nondescript props that hang throughout the queue. You can see them as you start approaching the fast pass machines. Look up as you're in the covered area of the queue, and you'll find all kinds of hats and and uh, uh, netting and ropes and and things like that that you would find, you know, canteens, as if you really were going on some sort of a long expedition. Almost like the queue of Expedition Everest when you're going through the shop where you'd pick up your hiking gear. Here is where you'd be picking up your your jungle cruising gear stuff <laughs> you know what i mean yeah <laughs> thanks <laughs> but uh, be prepared lou be prepared <laughs> yeah i'm sure um <clears throat> you know we talked about references to other people and some names that people might not be familiar with and pamelia perkins and trader sam might be something that people picked up on but there's a couple in there that actually i really had to kind of do my research on to find out who they were and one tag on one of the crates says, Ship to the Sir Henry H. Johnston Collection, The Adventures Club, 5189 Hill Street, Lake Buena Vista, Florida, 32830. Now, obviously, The Adventures Club, 5189 is the address 
Lake Buena Vista. But Sir Henry H. Johnson, now I was going crazy trying to find out who this was or what the kind of references was to, and it actually was a real person. And he was the commissioner of the British Central Africa Protectorate uh, around 1891. Another tag makes reference to also somebody who would be found at the Adventures Club. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that's Mary Henrietta Kingsley. She was actually an English writer and explorer. She influenced um, a lot of the European ideas about African culture and the African people. She studied cannibal tribes. She traveled by canoe up the Ogowe River. She climbed Mount Cameroon. Um, and this was back in the late, you know, mid to late 1800s, early 1900s. Again, around the time of that you'd see over at the Adventures Club. And again, for all you people that are right now just screaming at your iPods and saying, what kind of geeks are these guys? <laughs> Realize that before Lou even ever looked these up himself, an Imagineer did <laughs> <laughs> to paint their names on the crates in the first place. <laughs> right. Somebody actually really knew who that person was and said, you know, this would be a great person that we should mention here. So, again, relatively speaking, geek quotient, maybe not all that high. <laughs> so, <laughs> But there's also so, – uh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to was gonna say, one of the other signs that I had noticed there – Never, you know, pre-1998, never would have made any sort of reference to me. But there's a sign that says Field and Company Ivory and Spice Dealers, and it's a shipping and exporting sign. And it says number nine, Mild End Road, Warehouses. And the location is Mombasa, British East Africa, and London, England. Now, obviously, Mombasa makes reference to the Mombasa Marketplace over at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Wow. Oh, yes. Oh. Uh-huh. You know, I had that all written down in my notes, but I didn't have anything about animal. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> but You're welcome. You know what? Some of the funniest things in there are total just gags. I, I mean, they're absolute yeah. gags. And the employee of the month sign, I, I think, is one of the best ones there. Right. And here again, you said it just a few minutes ago, but we say this, I think, in every DSI we do. <laughs> Look up. <laughs> and <laughs> down, the, and down. And down. But what, the, if you're go, where you're going with the Employee of the Month and a couple of the other things we have here, definitely you have to look up for these. So go ahead, Employee of the Month. <laughs> <laughs> well, it says the Jungle Navigation Company Limited is pleased to announce the Employee of the Month. And the name is E period L period O apostrophe F-E-V-R-E. So you're like E-L-O-Fevre. It's E-L-O-Fever. Yellow, yellow fever. It says, please forward your congratulations and your condolences to Mr. O'Fever's next of kin care of our home office. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, and so I'll, I'll go with you on this one because then near to that is the crew mess lunch menu. And this one is just priceless because it gives, you know, Monday, they, they work they work bankers hours. It's great. Right. Monday through Friday. <laughs> and so, so they have the mess menu for the week. And it's Monday is fricassee of giant stag beetle and in parentheses, Tastes a bit like chicken. Tuesday is the barbecued three-toed skink, in parentheses, has a chickeny flavor. <laughs> Wednesday, oh, now here again, I'll, I'll show my you know lack of ratatouille background. Am I pronouncing consomme? Oh, very nice. <laughs> okay, <laughs> consomme of river basin slug. Now parentheses poultry-like. <laughs> Thursday, fillet of rock python, parentheses chicken-esque, and then finally on Friday. Chicken. Really? It's chicken. And then in parentheses, yeah, really. <laughs> it's so much funny when you read it in the queue as opposed to hearing us say it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> there is. But it is funny. Trust us. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 
Okay, you had to be there. <laughs> right. That's not going to stop us from going to the third gag. <laughs> That's right. Do you want to take care of the free kittens? No, please do. You're on a roll. Okay. <laughs> this is great because it's actually a shirt. It's a t-shirt, like a white shirt that's hanging up from the rafters there. And it's tattered beyond measure. It's just, it's totally, you know, the bottom portion is totally shredded. The sleeves are shredded. But written across it, it says, free kittens to a good home. Adorable, playful kittens have pretty stripes and are quite large. Contact the personnel office and take one home today. Huge letters, please. <laughs> You're right. Again, gotta, gotta be there. <laughs> <laughs> but trust us, it really is funny. It's great. It's great. Look up, look up. <laughs> but even after the ride is over, and again, we're not going to touch the ride because we can make a whole segment uh, about it. And you know, of course, on this show, time is time is at a premium, so we don't want to go too long. But after you get off the boat. Don't run for the exit. Don't run right for the exit uh, and and blow right by because there's lots of great stuff in, in the, I guess you can call it the exit queue. Um, and the big thing, obviously, is the giant chalkboard sign. And this is where it kind of pays reference to what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, when you come off the boat, you walk up and there's a large green chalkboard. And and across it, it's, it's kind of split in half. And on to the left side, it says, missing persons. And then to the right, missing boats. <laughs> and again, they never lost a boat. <laughs> They're just missing. <laughs> and it's not just one boat. There's a one, two, ten. Uh, a ten, yeah. <laughs> and and this is, you know, I have to, I, I will confess, I'll make my true confession here, is, and I think you'll be able to relate to this a little bit, Lou, is that we get so obsessed, you know, in our geek out, looking at the details, that, you know, we're convinced that every name is somebody, you know, famous. That this, you know, every name we see on a crate, you know, and for good reason, because they typically are. So I'm standing there the first time going down the names, you know, Albule, B and Eaton. Are these Imagineers? <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, the guy that's was not this, haunted mansion is being eaten. Yeah. You know, <laughs> See him it's cooking. Like the <laughs> you know? And so, you know, and then, you know, and I swear, you know, uh, after about five minutes, I'm like, uh. <laughs> and of course, you know, I, I'm an idiot. But you know, as as I was saying, Al Al be eaten, B N or no, I'm sorry, Al be what? I'll be late. I'll be late. <laughs> sorry, B N eaten. Uh, Emma Boylan, C M cooking. I leaned over and fell in. Right, and I le- I leaned over and fell in are like right next to each other. Yeah, so right you got together. <laughs> and uh, C M yet. Albert not and uh, Betty don't. <laughs> How many women right, so, right now are going, I would never have dated these guys in high school. <laughs> <laughs> My wife says that all the time. <laughs> and so she's like, will you hurry up? We want to get over to the Tiki's. Yeah. You know, what are you doing taking pictures? But you're like, look, it's it's sunken Sonia. Don't you get it? <laughs> Actually, you know what, too? Beyond the... Um, Beyond the, the thing itself, if you look around, the um, th- there's all kinds of uh, luggage and there's steamer trunks and things like that. And they have, you know, funny little stickers on it and showing where these people have traveled. Take a look at some of the hats because there's this whole giant variety of hats. There's like this genie hat. There's a pith helmet. There's uh, there, there's another pith helmet with an arrow through it. Yeah, there's that purple, that crazy purple boa kind of thing. Yeah. Hat, isn't it? <laughs> it's it, like, what It looks heck? like a genie hat to me. That's all yeah. I can <laughs> But, but uh, uh, yeah, and, and we have the missing 
Did you want to go through any of the missing boats, or should we just leave that to their imagination? Uh, you know what? We'll, we'll put the picture up in the show notes because I, I think at this point we've just, you know, so totally humiliated ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about. We, we talked about, you know, the crates and some of the references to real people and fake people. Here's another one of those uh, references to um, other other Disney characters and other characters from other you know tvs and movies and things like that on the crates as you're walking out yeah this is absolutely i only discovered this within the last year or so and it is absolutely one of my favorite favorite details in all of the magic kingdom it is it is to me just brilliant and it's it's a skid that's right past the chalkboard there as you're coming out and it's a skid of crates and supplies and on two of the crates um there are addresses now the top crate says ship to thomas kirk Exwire." M. Jones, Cartographers Limited, Field Office, Island of Borodano. The bottom crate says ship to Kenneth Anakin, Director of Imports, with Supply Company, Colony of New Guinea. This is a homage to the uh, Disney live-action film, Swiss Family Robinson. Tommy Kirk um, was one of the stars. And what threw me, you know, when I first saw this, I was able to immediately kind of connect with most of it. But I was totally thrown off by M. Jones. And I actually had to email a friend who was an even bigger Disney geek than I am. <laughs> Does such a person really exist? <laughs> uh, well, beyond yes. Lou Mangello, I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> but M. Jones, M. Jones, M. Jones. It was obvious in a kind of a weird kind of way is if, you, if you're familiar with your um, classic Disney live action films, Merlin Jones was a character that Tommy Kirk played in The Adventures of Merlin Jones and I believe another um, sequel that they did to it. Now here's where it gets a little funnier is that the island of Borodano, the, uh, Tommy Kirk's co-star in Swiss Family Robinson who played his brother was James MacArthur. James MacArthur went on to star as the character of Dano in Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> <laughs> this just shows you just how nutty <laughs> these Imagineers are. <laughs> and then dropping down to the, the other cake, Kenneth Anakin listed on the other cake. He was the not director. Anakin Skywalker. It is not, no, he's a not Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. He's, he was the director of Swiss Family Robinson. He directed a number of Disney uh, live action films. Wiss Supply Company. Wiss was uh, the original author of the book Swiss Family Robinson. So it just it was just amazing little bit of details that, you know, for the trivia buff, just just an amazing discovery. I just got a kick out. You know what? And it's so funny because every time I go and I take pictures of these, whether it's my wife or some stranger passing by, wonders why I'm staring there, taking pictures and making notes or talking to my recorder. And it's so funny because when you and I met up um, in Walt Disney World a couple of months ago, we started talking about it. And like two little eight-year-old kids go running over to the Jungle Cruise so we can start looking at yeah. <laughs> start looking at the stupid crates. And, did you see this? Did you see this? Oh, did you see this? <laughs> oh, look, it's Dano. You know, like Hawaii 5 yeah. and, Again, kids are going, Hawaii 5 what? What, yeah. <laughs> what the heck are they talking right. <laughs> So that that's pretty much a... Um, that's, that's a, I guess, a pretty detailed Disney scene investigation of just a queue. But there is more there to see, and there's more to the, there to listen to. So next time you're going and you are standing in line, whether it's Fast Pass or the standby line, try and pay close attention and, and look up and look down. And, in, again, interact, because there are things in the queue that we won't spoil for you that are not necessarily – they may look like they're static, but they may come to life. They may move. They may do things. <clears throat> Tarantula um, – so you should definitely, you know, touch. You're allowed to go and touch and see and look around and 
and, and really uh, appreciate all the little details that, that Disney puts into it. And we do have one last little mystery that has even stumped the two of us. And we're going to throw it out there. And going back to Lou's interview, I believe you said it was you talked to Dave Smith, and and Dave Smith sometimes told you or told you sometimes that sometimes they don't mean anything, Lou. Yeah, there was a um, there was a, a if you go into the oh God, I'm such a dork. Um, if you go under the the um, Main Street Railroad Station, on the top there are some shelves with props and things like that, and some of them are, are funny gags and, and references to some movies. There's a box that says R period L period Nicholas. And for years, I've been trying to figure out what it is. And I take pictures and I look online and I whip out all my old Disney books. And of course, I ask the poor, you know, the poor college program cast member or, or like the seasonal guy. I'm like, who's R.L. Nicholas? And he's like, um, let me get you somebody else. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm sitting down. I'm having lunch with Dave Smith, who's the head of the Walt Disney Archives. And I said, Dave, you got to help me out. You're the only person I know who I can ask. Who the heck is R.L. Nicholas? And, I, and I'm waiting with bated breath to hear about this famous Imagineer or this person that created whatever. He says, you know, Lou, and I lean forward to my seat. He goes, sometimes a box is just a box. And we just pick these up at a garage sale and it just doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and so, I took my little one. I was like, well, if, that's, if Dave Smith says it's just, then that's good enough for me. I have my answer well, and I hope- can sleep well at night. <laughs> Okay, well, let's hope Dave is listening, and maybe he can even email us and say, guys, put it to rest. Because <laughs> the final mystery here is there is a a kind of improvised grave marker laying on top of some pipes right outside of the building there by the uh, exit queue, as we described it. And on it, it's sort of like this kind of faux wooden piece of wood. Or, yeah, wooden piece of wood. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But anyway, it says on it, Vaughn Burns, R-I-P. And Vaughn is spelled B-A-U-G-H-N, and then it's Burns, just like it sounds. We can't figure this one out. <laughs> yeah, the, Maybe it's Dave says it doesn't mean anything, but let's, if there's a cast member out there, somebody that has a clue as to what Vaughn Burns is, please let us know because uh, we can't get to sleep at night. Yeah, well, all right, speak for yourself. But you know, I, you know, <laughs> I did the Google search and all kinds of bizarre things come up for it that I just don't think is the reference that... Uh, the Imagineers were going for and again maybe it, it doesn't mean anything or maybe this is just some uh, obscure person that, that worked at Disney but if you know let us know and we'll give you something I will give you something I, I will give you I'll give you a shirt and books and a lanyard and we do we, we will have a picture of it. take a look in the show notes if you want to take a look at it because we do have it featured in the pictures in the show notes so well great that that's um, I, that was fun for me. Hopefully, it was fun for you as well. Uh, hopefully, again, we've given you some a couple of things to look for and to look at next time over at Walt Disney World. I'll, again, I'll post some pictures up in the show notes for this week over at wdwradio.com. I'll also put a link up to a, a post that Jeff made over his blog at 2719hyperion.blogspot.com. Uh, Jeff, buddy, thank you again. This was a blast, Lou. Let's, let's do it again. As always. Thanks a lot, buddy. All right. Bye.
Another one of Walt Disney World's hidden treasures can be found right on Sunset Boulevard at the Disney MGM Studios in the Sunset Club Couture Shop. And it's not just another shop because in the front there are custom-made artist watches. And it truly is something amazing, something very, very special, a very unique collectible item that you can bring home. And I want to introduce you to Jason Zucker, who is one of the, the featured artists here and an incredibly, incredibly talented person. I've mentioned his name once before on the show. Jason, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Jason, tell us a little bit about what you guys do here and what you offer to people. And I think a lot of people probably walk right by and overlook. Well, I'm actually one of four uh, watch artists here at Sunset Club Couture's. Um, it's a location that uh, offers... Um, uh, unique items, and one of the unique items we offer is our artist watches, which we all do by hand. They're custom made for the guest. Uh, we add personalization, and the guest is uh, able to pick their favorite characters from Dumbo all the way up to uh, The Incredibles, Finding Nemo. Um, but we also have the classic characters Donald, Mickey, and Goofy. And uh, we take several hours to create the artwork, and we put it into a watch of their choice. Uh, we have several selections, and it's a nice, uh, a nice keepsake, and uh, the people love them. So, and they, and they, you can do it a couple of different ways. You can get them in color, and you can do a mono with a, with a single color. And I guess they're also available to be... Uh, you can also get the actual sketch of the of the artwork as well. Right. We, also, we offer the characters uh, in a full uh, color, um, and we also offer it uh, just as a sketch, you know, like an animated sketch, uh, like you'd see, you know, an animator doing. Uh, and then we uh, offer framing if they if they want. If they want to wear the watch, which is great. I mean, I wear mine all the time. Um, or they can uh, have it framed. Uh, a lot of people just like to collect them and like to frame them. Uh, but some people just like to wear them, and we have people that come time and time again. That sometimes people get watches, uh, a watch every year, or it's a great watch to have, you know, like first trip to Walt Disney World, or a watch that they want to buy, you know, for their son or daughter for graduation. Or we do lots of uh, honeymoon watches and people that get married and and this and that, and uh, and people like it because a, you know, they get to pick their favorite character. And also, it becomes more of a one-of-a-kind and a personal watch to them, especially when they add their name or a special saying or uh, a wedding date. Um, and it, it, it makes it unique for them and makes it special for us that we can provide that for them. So I was like, that's the thing, because it's not just like a watch that you pull off a shelf and then have it personalized. You know that it came right from a Disney artist. It was done just for you, and it, it really is one-of-a-kind. Uh, and you're right, it's, it's a very nice collectible, and it's great that you can wear it, too. And the prices range, and, and this is maybe why sometimes it's more of a collectible, the prices range from $200 for the monocolor up to 350 for the full color. But, you know, it is truly, it is a piece of artwork, and it's all yours, and it's something really, really special. Yeah, it is, a, it is up in the two $300 range. Uh, but again, you like you just said, you are getting a one-of-a-kind piece of art. You get the original art with the watch. You're not getting a copy, uh, which is framed uh, by us, or you can frame it yourself, um, which a lot of people do. Uh, but yeah, it is a one-of-a-kind piece of artwork, and... Um, and we really, really enjoy doing it for the guests. The other thing, too, is that um, as, I'm, as I'm flipping through the book, you have some samples watches. I mean, you can get characters like Roger Rabbit. You can get Figment. I mean, the, the Figment watch is just beautiful. I know a lot of people are big Figment fans and miss uh, uh, Figment. And there's lots of different um, poses and scenes that you can get them in. I mean, there's probably a good dozen or so of, of Donald, uh, for example. But there's something else about 
the, the Sunset Club Couture Shop and, and the watches, and it's specific to you because this is kind of a, a two-for-one. It's a two-for today for Hidden Treasures because in addition to that, there is a little um, dry erase board up on the left-hand side that you kind of change from time to time. Tell us what you put on the board and why people should come in and take a look at it. Well, when, uh, let me back up a little bit. When I first came to the area three years ago um, and sat at this desk, um, it just seemed... Uh, uh, it just seemed a little empty to me because when I used to work over in animation, uh, you know, I brought, you know, we used to have toys hanging around and little things and, and uh, you know, just a lot of activities for people that just come in there. Not only do they look at the watches and decide what they want and ask me about the watches and uh, so on and so forth. Um, but I just gave them a little bit extra, you know, to kind of get them involved in not only animation. I have a picture of Walt behind me. Uh, I have a picture of the nine old men. I have my trivia. And uh, the trivia really started, um, really, when I used to work over in animation. Uh, the guests would ask me lots of questions about animated films and things, and I would, you know, ask them questions. So, oh, what's your favorite animated film? Oh, let me ask you, let me see if you know this, you know. So I love doing the trivia because it keeps the guests in front of me. They like looking at the trivia. They ask me, and it just really keeps the conversation going. It really ties the whole thing together. Um, but uh, I get my trivia uh, a lot from uh, the Dave Smith books, and of course your books now are are, uh, are very, very helpful, and I've used them many times before. Um, but sometimes I work the trivia around what's going on in our company. Like right now we're releasing, our, well, we just released Ratatouille. I have some... I. Uh, not only is it just trivia, but it's also information of what's going on. Sometimes I'll do a little bit of Walt history. Sometimes I'll do the, this day or this week in Disney history. Uh, or I might just do something if we have a, an animator who becomes a Disney legend or an Imagineer becomes a Disney legend. Something about them. And, and nine out of ten times, the, the guests really don't know who that person is. And they get to learn a little bit. And, and uh, uh, believe me, if I had a dollar for every time I heard a guest go, oh, I didn't know that. Or, wow, that's interesting. I mean, I, I'd, I'd be a millionaire. You wouldn't be working the watch shop. <laughs> no, I'd be here, but I'd still be a millionaire. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you really are, and I'm not just saying it because you're standing here, but you're, you're a font of knowledge, especially when it comes to history of Walt Disney and history of animation and, and your knowledge of things like Marceline and whatnot, and whatnot is exceptional. That, that's actually how we first met. Right. I actually happened to be shopping in here, and, and one of the uh, women behind the counter saw my shirt. We started talking about the book, and she points over. She goes, oh, Jason loves trivia. She goes, Jason, he wrote the Disney trivia book. And there you are behind your desk. You hold up my book. So <laughs> There's so much good stuff here. There's so much that you should do. Come in, and if you see Jason, come and talk to Jason. Obviously, he's a very personal guy. He's a very knowledgeable guy. And if you have questions, anything about the artwork or Disney or Disney history or Disney animation or the studios, chances are Jason knows or, or will be able to find out for you. So, um, again, the, the, the twofer hidden treasure of, of Walt Disney World for this week is the custom artist watch shop at Sunset Club Couture and Jason Zucker and his, uh, his Disney information and trivia board. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. And uh, come by and say hi and visit with us. And, and uh, we'd love to talk to you and create a little piece of uh, Disney art for you. Excellent. Thank you. It's been a long time since I've had a chance to respond to your listener emails on the air, and for that, I truly do apologize. We have a lot to get to. Let's see how many we can get through today, so let's get going. The first email reads, Lou, my name is Eli, and I listen to your podcast all the time. I have a question for you concerning extra magic hours. I'm going on a trip with two of my friends in early August, staying at Pop Century, and I want to take advantage of our ticket's ability to get the extra magic hours. 
I'm a little confused with how the whole process works. For example, according to DisneyWorld.com, the Magic Kingdom's early extra morning hours are on August 7th, and on their calendar it says 9 to 11 extra magic hours. Does this mean that with the extra magic hours, one can enter the park at 9 a.m., or is the 9 to 11 for the general public? Do the extra magic hours let me go before 9, and if so, when? This is just one example of what I don't understand. Another would be that on August 9th, the calendar says MGM is 9 to 9, extra magic hours. Does that mean I could stay past 9 or until 9? I look forward to your response. Eli, thank you very much for your question, and don't worry, this is actually one that I get all the time, as I think the extra magic hours, especially how it is maybe uh, portrayed on the Disney website, can be a little confusing. You have to understand there's basically two different types of extra magic hours. There's morning and there's evening. Morning extra magic hours will get you in an hour earlier than guests who are staying off property. So if you see that, for example, a park's uh, hours are from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. and they have morning extra magic hours, that means you can get in at 8. You get one extra hour to ride. Most of the attractions are open at that point before they let in guests who are staying off property. Evening extra magic hours allow you, if you are staying on property, to stay for three hours later after the park closes. So again, if you see hours that are from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m., you can now stay in the park until 1 a.m. once you get your wristband. They're free. You don't have to leave the park and come back in. There are little wristband stations throughout the park. All you need to do is show them your key to the world card, proving that you are staying on property. They'll swipe it and they'll give you a, a, a a colored wristband specific to that night and allows you to ride uh, pretty much all the attractions for the extra three hours as well as go shopping there are a couple of dining locations and and, uh, food stands that are open but for the most part um, many of the major restaurants are closed during those extra magic hours our next email comes from dennis who says hi luke congratulations on the new show i've been an oh so loyal pod person since the old show and i find myself eagerly awaiting upcoming shows as they're always entertaining Question one, I'm a Florida resident and purchased a seasonal pass last November when I celebrated my birthday at Walt Disney World. An opportunity presented itself and I'll be going up for the weekend of, no, July 13th, sorry. (laughs) Problem is, it's smack in the middle of a blackout period for for a seasonal pass holder. This is where I need your advice. Is it more feasible to pay $120 for a three-day Florida resident pass or is it my best bet to upgrade from a seasonal to an annual pass? All right, let me first describe what the Florida Resident Pass is. There's a Florida Resident Seasonal Pass that's a specially priced annual pass that gives admission to all the four theme parks, but there are busy, there are blackout dates during some of the busiest time of the years. However, seasonal pass holders also get the same discounts on rooms, meals, and merchandise. However, it does not also include free parking as the annual pass holders do. Now, the gate price of a Florida Resident Seasonal Pass is $237.00. Uh, and 50 cents for adults and $209 for kids. There are some discounts that you can get. You can go through um, AAA. They actually give you discounts on both annual passes, premium annual passes, and the seasonal passes. Now, the Florida Resident Annual Pass is $361.04. So I think you said you were paying $120 for the three-day pass. If you know you're going to be going back again, it's clearly a no-brainer to at least, at the very least, not buy you know day-to-day passes, but but get the seasonal pass. Uh, for a, an additional $130, you get the annual pass. Now, remember, you also can take advantage of the free parking. You also are not going to be subjected to the blackout dates. I guess this is something that you have to kind of weigh when you plan on going, how many days you plan on being there, and if the blackout dates are going to possibly apply to you. Question two says, I've always stayed at Valley Resorts because I figure, why spend more money on a nicer hotel room considering I won't be there half the time? 
I can't help but wonder if I decide to try at the more moderate resorts, which would be the best one for my money. Uh, well, I have to tell you, Dennis, you are preaching to the choir because the times that I do go down, especially alone on research trips, I am never in my room. I often will stay at a value resort like Pop Century. Um, I like the resort. I, I like the way it's themed. I think it's a step up from the other value resorts. And again, I'm not really in my room all the time, so it doesn't make that much of a difference. However, there is a big jump going from the values to the moderates. And if I had to, um, if I really had to, to suggest one of the moderate resorts, it would have to be Port Orleans French Quarter for the same reasons that I've, I've uh, given in the past. I think the resort is very well themed. I love its location. It's small. It's probably the smallest of the resorts on property, which means that it's very, very quaint. Um, I like the buildings. I like the food court that's there. There is no sit-down restaurant. That is something to keep in mind. But I think the uh, the property is beautiful. I think it's got a nice pool. Uh, if you get Building 5, you'll be right by the main building as well as the pool. You have the Sasagula River there. There's so much going for it. Uh, and if you can do it, and if you're looking to possibly move up to the moderate level, that's where I'd suggest going. Port Orleans French Quarter would probably be first with maybe Riverside second. Coronado Springs would be third. Next email says, Lou, I have to tell you about an experience my wife and I had on a recent visit to Walt Disney World. As we were exiting Splash Mountain right before the photo viewing monitors, a family was surrounded by a group of four Disney employees in blue shirts. As we walked by, we heard them tell the family, no, it's not a membership, it's free, you get to stay in the castle. Several members of the family looked up at them and said, what? With completely baffled looks on their faces. They had no idea what was happening. We turned to them and said, you just got to stay in Cinderella's castle, you won. We congratulated them, shook their hands, and told them how great it was to witness such a treasured prize being given. We talked to the Dream Squad about how random it is, and it could happen at any of the four theme parks on any given day. The family was quickly whisked away, still in a bit of surprise and bewilderment. Of course, my wife and I turned to each other and realized we were, we were only one or two log flumes behind, and just how close we were to be able to stay in the castle ourselves. But even so, the experience to see it was great. Later that day, we saw the family in the parade waving from the car. They recognized us and gave us a big thumbs up and shouted, we're having a wonderful time, and it was neat to see the Year of a Million Dreams program throughout the parks. Mickey ears, dream fast passes, and of course, the top dog stay in the castle. We enjoy the show, keep up the great work, and that's from Tom and Brenda in League City, Texas. Tom and Brenda, thank you for that email. I appreciate you sending that in, and I specifically wanted to read that on the show because, again, I've talked about how the Year of a Million Dreams has gotten so much criticism, and, and I am a very vocal proponent of it. I think it's a wonderful thing, and you are evidencing the, 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 the feelings that I think most people feel. It's not that, hey, that should have been me, that could have been me, and instead of being angry or upset, you're happy to be able to see and experience how that took place and see that other families kind of their little dream come true uh, that day with no sort of kind of animosity towards them or feelings of jealousy or, or, or resentment or anything. So thank you very much for sharing that. And um, hopefully you never know if you head back, maybe maybe uh, the year of a million dreams isn't quite done with you just yet. So uh, next email comes from Michaela. It says, Lou, I've been listening to your show since the beginning and each episode keeps getting better and better and better. I have to say, though, that I was extremely impressed by Cody Pepper's knowledge during the last Fact or Fiction. I'm 13 years old myself. I'll be turning 14 in about two and a half weeks. And there was no way I would have been able to know all of those answers. If you can tell Cody or read this on the air, there you go, so he can hear it, that would be great. Cody, you rock. You, Lou, you rock too, but Cody really impressed me this week. Thanks for Michaela. Michaela, thank you. I got a number of emails about Cody Pepper's performance on Fact or Fiction. No, they were not softballs by any stretch of the imagination. Cody did very well. 
and uh, and it was a lot of fun. We're going to do some more of those Fact of Figment segments in the coming weeks. Next email says, Lou, I'm really into your show, but I've got two questions that I've never heard answered before regarding Walt Disney World. First, why is the Magic Kingdom all by itself on the northern part of property? I remember going to Walt Disney World as a kid and marveling at the size of the property and wondering why more of it didn't have more cool stuff in it. Boy, how things have changed. But the location of the Magic Kingdom seemed odd. It was almost at the northern border, far away from all the hotels at Lake Buena Vista. Was this just a vision of Walt Disney World's growth that accounts for the spot choice? Well, before I hit your second question, I'll answer this one first. You got to remember, really, that what we see now is in some ways very similar, but in many ways quite different from what Walt Disney World was originally going to be and what Walt planned it on being. Remember that for Walt, the most important part of the project for him was Epcot the city, not Epcot the theme park that we have now. That was going to be located really at the center of property, but there was a lot more that was going to be built there as well, including an airport, a convention center, a a giant swamp ride, remember this was all swamp when they first got there, an industrial park, golf courses, a lot of different hotels, and so much more. This is something I'm going to cover in more depth on an upcoming show, but uh, what I'll do maybe is put some pictures up in the show notes where you can get an idea of what Walt originally had planned, some of his early designs, some of his early hand-drawn sketches of what this this vacation kingdom was going to be and how much more and how much more expansive it was going to be um, had his vision come to fruition. My second question is regarding Lake Buena Vista. What's the history of this area? Did it start because Disney didn't have the money for its own hotels? Has there been any expansion or contraction in this area recently? Again, this is something I'm also going to con- cover in much uh, more in-depth look but you got to remember, this area was once going to be part of a planned residential com- community where people were actually able to buy property and live on Walt Disney World property. That obviously never came to be, but there was originally going to be monorail service. There was going to be a very, very big shopping and dining district there, as well as other hotels, um, both run by Disney and not by Disney. Again, this is something that, uh, that really needs a much more in-depth discussion than just via email, but I promise it's something... I'm going to do on the show and he finishes off by saying thanks for all the hours you invest in the show your big heart and an admiration for the spirit of the park is fun to hear and that came from Chris Martin Chris thank you very much like I said I promise to answer that uh, email and go into a lot uh, more detail about the construction some of the early plans of Walt Disney World on an upcoming show next Lou says hi Lou awesome show we're planning our annual pilgrimage from western Massachusetts again and would like some advice we've been taking the kids down to Disney each year since they were in preschool we usually made a list of the rides deemed not, not no-miss attractions. We seem to have progressed through the mad map scrambles while standing in the hubs of the parks. Through the years, we've rotated through the Disney resorts with our last two visits being the Yacht Club and the Polynesian. Very nice. As the kids get older, they're much more content with staying at the resort and playing in the pool. The kids are 12 and 13. I've consulted my Disney magazine, Summer 2001, which rates the pools, and they don't quite share the same opinions. Thus, I'm going to the pro. So she says, which resort has the best slide? We love the Polynesians and talk about a view while swimming at night. The castle is directly across the lagoon from you. The Yacht Club was okay, but there was no swimming once you got dumped off the slide. It was right back up the the stairs. Love the show. Value your opinion, so any help would be appreciated. Well, that's a very good question, and it is something that's subjective, and we did a best of the best a few weeks ago with Brian Ripper. We talked about Storm Along Bay being the best pool on property, and having stayed there a few weeks ago, uh, over at the Beach Club, I have to agree that it still is the best pool. But there are a lot of great slides, and I think the one that's there at Storm Long Bay is probably one of, if not the best. You actually cross the promenade to the to the uh, shipwrecked albatross that's up there. 
climb up, you get to go down. There's the sand bottom pool. I think it's wonderful. I think the uh, volcano water slide at Disney's Polynesian, you're right, definitely ranks up there as one of the best. Some of the other good ones you might want to look into are the uh, the Sandcastle water slide over at Old Key West. There's the one over at the Boardwalk, which kind of looks like a roller coaster, which is a lot of fun. Great pool over there at the Boardwalk. Uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge has a very nice water slide. So does uh, Coronado Springs. It's kind of shaped like a Mayan pyramid. That's another fun slide. Again, these are all for, for kids. Not little, little kids, but kids and adults. There's also, um, if you're looking for a little kitty kitty water slide, the one over at Saratoga Springs is very good from what I hear. And, um, of course, if you're looking for the ultimate of all water slides, head on over to Summit Plummet at uh, Blizzard Beach, where you can head on over to Typhoon Lagoon if you're, you're really looking for that kind of experience. But if you're staying on property, if you're looking for one at the resorts, I'd probably say that uh, Stormalong Bay and uh, the Polynesian are probably the top two with the roller coaster water slide uh, uh, over at uh, Disney's Boardwalk probably coming in right behind there. Next email reads, Lou, my name is Darren. I want to thank you for your podcast sessions regarding everything Walt Disney World related. They've been very informative and have helped us plan our Walt Disney World vacation scheduled for later on this year. On a personal note, I haven't been to Walt Disney World in almost 20 years. The last time I was there, I was in a high school band trip back in the 80s. I can't wait to go back and see how much of it's changed. We had such a blast back then at the Magic Kingdom. Now that I'm older and have a family of my own, I have one question. What's your top suggestion for making our visit to Walt Disney World a memorable and magical event? Any response will be greatly appreciated, and please feel free to read this on the air. Thank you, Darren. Darren, thank you for the email, and I'm sure you guys must be excited about your trip, especially having been so long since your last trip. Uh, But, you know, as far as a top suggestion for making the trip a memorable and magical one, it's so subjective, and there are so many different things that you can do on so many different levels, but I think maybe you hit it on the head. I think you should, when you go back, Go back and try and remember what made an impression on you as a child. What's changed over the years? What remains the same? What's still a classic to you? Do you remember riding the Haunted Mansion? Or do you miss If You Had Wings or Mr. Toad's Wild Ride? How do you view the the rides differently now as an adult and as a parent? And I think most importantly, really savor and enjoy the new memories you're going to be making with your own family. Really take the time and appreciate not just all the attractions, but the look on your wives and your wife and daughter and kids' faces as you see them experiencing it for the first time. After you get back from your trip, by all means, please email me. Let me know how you enjoyed your trip. If what, uh, what if any of those things really helped make your trip um, a little bit more special for you and your family? Next email reads, Hey Lou, just want to say great show. I've been a fan since the old show and I love the new one. I was wondering if you or if anyone you know could give me some advice on an upcoming family trip in August. I've been planning a big family trip and it will be my first trip with my parents to Walt Disney World since my dad's accident. He was in a car accident six years ago and was left partially paralyzed and in chronic pain. Since he was given a second chance at life again, I've been trying to create as many magical memories for him as I can. When he told me he was ready for Walt Disney World, I jumped at the chance. I purchased the Passporter Special Needs book and that's been helpful, but I still have a lot of questions. My dad's worried that he'll ruin everyone's time because his wheelchair because he's wheelchair bound and can't go on the rides. We took commando style trips when I was a teenager and he was my riding partner. We're all a little sad knowing that this trip will be totally different than the ones in the past. But I'm an optimist and I want everyone to enjoy themselves. On this trip as well are his grandkids who are five years old, one's a five year old princess and a one and a half year old adventurer. I know that they'll be a distraction to him and they'll love watching their faces as this is their first time. My question is, 
Are there any attractions besides the shows that a wheelchair-bound person can get on? And also, is there anyone who's been there in a wheelchair and can share their experience? It would really help ease mine and my dad's fears so we can just enjoy ourselves. Thank you for all the information you give every week. I know it's a tough, tough job, but someone has to do it. Thanks. That's Pam, a.k.a. TiggerFan77 in the forums. Pam, thank you so much for sharing your email. I can imagine what an exciting time it is to know that you're going to be able to go with your father and the grandkids, as well as somewhat scary because this is the first time you're going with somebody who is in a wheelchair. I promise you that that is not going to affect or ruin in any way your trip because Disney is one of the most accommodating places anywhere for people who have individual special needs of any type, whether they be physical or otherwise. Uh, inside the, the theme parks, as far as access to the attraction, it really varies from one attraction to another. But Disney has a guidebook for guests with dis- disabilities, which is available at any guest relations uh, window at any of the theme parks. Those are probably the best resources. They use uh, maps and symbols, and they show you exactly what's required in order to visit that attraction. So, for example, if he's able to transfer from a wheelchair, uh, if you must be able to do that, or if you can um, actually use your wheelchair on the attraction... Uh, cast members, you should know, can't assist with transfers, but if he's able to do it on her own or if there's other members of your family, that'll give him access to a lot more of the attractions than otherwise. Uh, most of the entrances to the attractions are wheelchair accessible through the regular queue. Again, uh, if, you, if you pick up that guidebook for guests with disabilities, um, they'll be able to help you out. If you call guest relations, they may actually be able to send you one in advance so you can know going in exactly what to expect rather than getting to the park, standing in the middle of town square, starting to look at your map and figuring out what you want to do. Uh, there's also a forum. If you head on over to DisneyWorldTrivia.com, head to the forums. I'll put a link up in the WDWRadio.com show notes. We have a forum specifically with guests of special needs where a lot of these issues are addressed. It's also a great place to interact and talk with other people who have the same sort of issues and concerns. Again, it's uh, at the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com, and I'll put up a link in this week's show notes. Uh, Good luck. Have a great time on your trip. I'm sure it's going to be wonderful, and you're going to make some pretty exciting memories uh, with Grandpa and the kids as well. Next email reads, I just begun listening to your show, and I think it's great. It's definitely my favorite podcast out there. I love the length of the episodes and the guests you have on. Haha, ha, Matt Hotchberg. Okay, edit that last part. Anyway, my aunt and I are going on vacation to Disney World for seven days, and we leave on Monday. I'm 20, and she's 50. We've gone several times before, but the last time was in 2003. I know there's a lot of new stuff to do, but I'm wondering how to keep this trip just as fresh and exciting as the very first one. I bought Steve's Hidden Mickey book at Borders, but I'm wondering if that will be enough to keep this vacation unique. Do you have any suggestions about new ways to view things or what to do this time to keep the trip exciting and new? Thanks so much for your help, Mark. Mark, well, let me tell you, since 2003, there's a lot of new things to see. There's a lot of new attractions to see. So that is going to keep you busy right from the get-go. You've got tons of things in all the four parks, including the new updated Pirates of the Caribbean and the Nemo show and the Nemo attraction at Epcot. There's so much more, but you can do things like try some of the new restaurants, or if you really want to kind of take it up to the next level, try some of the special experiences that you can do at the parks or outside the parks. You could do a fireworks cruise. You can go horseback riding at Fort Wilderness, Uh, take a boat over to downtown Disney and have a nice meal there and do shopping, go see Cirque du Soleil, Uh, allow yourself to be a kid again. You just go, go to Fantasyland and ride the kiddie rides uh, all over again. And forget the fact that you're 20 and 50 and pretend instead that you're, you're 7 and 8 and really just allow yourselves to, uh, to, to go and, and act like kids for a day. And most of all, just go ahead and have fun. Next email reads, Hey Lou, it's your buddy from the 06 meet. I want to let you know I seriously love your show. Me and my boyfriend Steve listened to it together on our way to work. 
So tell me, where are all the where are the most romantic places to propose? My boyfriend and I want to make it official while we're there and are looking for some great ideas. I know he's going to go all out, so if you can give him some good suggestions, that would be greatly appreciated. All right, so you obviously know that the engagement's coming, but I don't want to necessarily spoil it for you by telling you uh, maybe on the air exactly where you should go. But there's a really good article that's someone by the name of Gene, whose, uh, whose screen name is Maybe We Were Meant to Be, over on the DisneyWorldTrivia.com website. I'm going to put a link up in this week's show notes um, because the article is entitled, of course, Top 10 Places to Get Engaged at Walt Disney World. I think that'll give you some good suggestions. Um, if you're asking me, I'd, of course, say, you know, maybe right in front of the castle, but my uh, my, my first engagement there didn't go well. Worked out in the end with my with my current wife, but, um, yeah, that, that's another story for another show. So, yeah, uh, head on over, check out those links, or maybe instead why don't you send your boyfriend over there, have him read that, and uh, see if that gives him any good ideas. And, of course, let us know exactly where it ends up taking place. Next email says, Lou, I love the new show and thanks so much for the special on Horizons. I only got to enjoy that attraction three times. I was on a band trip to Daytona, but our band director, who was really cool and scheduled things such so that we can go to Disney. Our first day was Epcot. Our second day was the Magic Kingdom. My friends and I were so enamored with Epcot and Horizons that we disobeyed our band director and went straight back for two more times on Horizons. I'd like to know all about the Disney footprints or artifacts left over from now extinct attractions. I know you've mentioned several times that leftover remains from Horizons. God, I really missed that one. But what about Mr. Toad's Wild Ride and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and other attractions that are no longer in the park? Can you tell us where to look? Be well and play hard, Woody. Woody, thanks for the email, and I'm, and I'm happy you enjoyed the segment that we did on the Horizons. And like you said, we did talk about how the old symbol from Horizons could be found in the gravity wheel in the queue. And that's not the only place where Disney's Imagineers kind of put little tributes to some of the extinct attractions in and around the theme parks, and especially in the attractions that ended up replacing them. For example, if, you, if you're looking for Mr. references to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, it was obviously replaced by the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. If you go um, on the attraction, you'll see there are two photos of Mr. Toad. One is with uh, Pooh, and there's another one with Owl, where he's actually uh, handing the deed over to them. You can also find Mr. Toad... You can find one of his original ride cars over in Exposition Hall on Main Street. You can also find a statue of him in the pet graveyard at the exit to the Haunted Mansion. Uh, things like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, obviously replaced, again, by Pooh's Playful Spot. If you go inside the tree, where there's like the little tree house in the center, and if you look up over the doorway, there's a small, maybe six-inch, little bluish-green carved-out 20,000 Leagues sub, again, paying tribute to the attraction that it replaced. Um... They actually make very cool, if you're really into these, they make very, very cool collectibles of these that you can get at the Art of Disney. They sell out fast, but they, I have seen them started to come back in the stores. They now sell uh, three different ones. They sell a Mr. Toad's Wild Ride Car, which is maybe about 10 inches or 8 to 10 inches wide, a very, very cool 20,000 League sub, as well as a Skyway to Tomorrowland uh, chalet and some Skyway buckets that you can get. And again, you can get those over at the Art of Disney. Uh, trying to think offhand some of the other ones. Uh, oh, over at Space Mountain, if you're in the post show and you're kind of going down the speed ramp, you can see a remnant of the old RCA dog. There actually used to be, when, when the pavilion was sponsored by RCA, the dog was in there, the little Radio Victor dog. Well, now he's been stripped of his skin, and now there's kind of a little skeleton there, but you can still uh, definitely tell that that's a reference to the old RCA dog. Uh, if you liked Journey into Imagination, the original one, you can find Dreamcatcher's vehicle, the Dreamcatcher, over at the uh, in Mouse Gears in Epcot, if you look 
uh, across from the checkout counter. If you look up towards the ceiling, you could see the ride vehicle there. Those are just examples of just some of the things you'll find in and around the parks. If you go to one of the theme parks, if you see an attraction that's been replaced, take careful, you know, look around very carefully uh, or even ask cast members because they may be able to point you to just some of the other references to the old attractions in and around the, the rides themselves. Next email says, Lou, great show. I had a question about restaurants at Disney World. My girlfriend and I are going to Disney the third week of October and we wanted to go to a great dinner. Would you recommend Victorian Alberts or the California Grill? We're staying at the Grand Floridian. We've heard wonderful things about both places but can't make up our minds. Please help. Also can recommend some other kid-friendly restaurants seeing as we're just seeing as we're being joined by my girlfriend's sister, her husband, and their four kids. Maybe something at the Animal Kingdom Lodge? Thanks for putting on a great show. I look forward to it every week and for hopefully answering my question. See ya, Ryan Albert. Ryan, thank you for the question. Again, one of my favorite things to talk about at Walt Disney World is food. I could go on odd infinite about this, but time is at a premium. So to answer your first question, Victorian Alberts versus California Grill, that's a tough one uh, because I think the California Grill has very, very good food. I think it has a wonderful view. Um, I, I think that's a wonderful experience. But if you're looking for that real kind of once-in-a-lifetime intimate experience with just the two of you victorian alberts might be it it's going to be much more pricey but it's definitely be something that's very very memorable uh, it's a tough ticket to get into so definitely call far ahead of time if you're trying to get into victorian alberts remember but that you mentioned restaurants being kid friendly neither of those are very kid friendly especially victorian alberts very very much not kid friendly but if you want to do something just the two of you that's the way to go as far as kid friendly restaurants uh ones in the resorts that i would think about looking at would be Boma over at Animal Kingdom Lodge. I think it's a wonderfully themed restaurant. I think the food is very good, and there's always stuff there for kids to eat, so you don't have to worry about that. There's the Cape May Cafe at the uh, the Yacht Club, the Beach Club. You've got Ohana's and the Kona Cafe at Polynesian. Both very, very good food, both very kid-friendly. The Hoop de Doo Musical Review over at Pioneer Hall at Wilderness Lodge. Very, very fun. There's also the Trails End Buffet there, which is a great value, good food. Uh, of course, you have Chef Mickey's over at the Contemporary and Whispering Canyon Cafe at Wilderness Lodge is a lot of fun. Another one of those kind of fun interactive uh, experiences with good food. Over at the parks, you know, obviously anything really. Um, you probably look for things, especially that, that have characters in them. So, for example, maybe Liberty Tree or Crystal Palace over at the Magic Kingdom, the Garden Grill over at Epcot. The Coral Reef and Epcot's Future World is a, is a really nice restaurant. So the adults will have a good meal. The kids have great views of um, the aquariums. Over at um, MGM Studios, Sci-Fi uh, Dine-In is a lot of fun. Kids really like that, as well as 50s Primetime Cafe. I think the food there is very good. I think that's another great experience uh, for, for both adults and kids. All right, we're starting to run long, shocker of all shockers, but uh, I have so many emails to get through, so that's why I'm going fast, but I'll get through one more, and I promise I'll get to more next week. Next one says, Lou, you get me through my half marathon training during the week. I love the podcast, and I found your thoughts on Dinoland USA to be quite intriguing. I completely agree with you about the land, and I, too, find it to be very well done. I don't understand the backlash among Disney fans against this land. However, I think part of the reason for the widespread disdain folks have towards Dinoland stems from Disney's ineffectiveness to tell the backstory behind this land. As you so capably pointed out, a well-thought backstory is in place. All the typical Disney detail we love is there, yet somehow the masses have missed the story. A great story that goes untold will never be rightly appreciated. I believe this is the case for Dinoland. Jeff made the comment that fans need to slow down in what's essentially a zoological park. Could, could that be it? Could the public believe the mass campaign that Disney's Animal Kingdom is not a zoo? Disney went to great lengths to condition our thinking to see Animal Kingdom as a normal theme park. 
Perhaps folks would take in the detail in Dinoland if there was something to hold them in the area long enough to notice it. Maybe Dinoland needs a more substantial attraction, though I doubt I'll ever get one for folks notice to, in order for folks to notice the backstory. Or perhaps Disney's Imagineers could come up with alternative means to, compel, to tell their compelling story. Thanks for helping me appreciate this land more than I already did. Keep up the wonderful work. That comes from Rob in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Rob, thank you very much, and I'm happy that we were able to point out some of those details and the wonderful story that goes into Animal Kingdom, as well as all the, the rest of the theme parks uh, around Walt Disney World. Uh, this is something I would actually like to hear you all weigh in on. You know, Would you like to see something else other than the Nemo show in Dinoland? Do you think attractions need to be replaced? Do you, what, what else would you suggest to bring in there to keep people around or to help tell that backstory better? Head on over to the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com under WDW Radio and submit your thoughts there or call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. All right, what, why not? One more quick little email before we end up. This one says... Lou, were lifetime passes to Disneyland or Walt Disney World ever offered to the public to help finance the building of one or more of these parks? As a young girl in Nebraska, I was sure I heard about this, but can't find anyone else who remembers this. Please let me know if this was ever done. Thank you. That's from Karen Croker. Karen, thank you for the email, and I wanted to make sure I read this one because I remember being there with my dad when when I was very young and being offered lifetime passes for somewhere around $1,000 or $1,500 why we passed it up, I have no idea. I know my father says he kicks himself about that all the time, although probably wouldn't get you admission to all the parks today. It probably would have gotten you admission to whatever uh, was open at the time, probably uh, Walt, uh, Magic Kingdom and Epcot. But um, the problem is I, I've never seen one of these. I, I've been looking for these uh, for, for years uh, or, or even a copy of one. And for me, it's kind of like the holy grail of collectibles because I cannot find one. A number of people have emailed me saying that they have remember these as well. So people seem to know that they existed, um, but I've yet to see one, and nobody has ever been able to give me a copy. If somebody has one, or a photocopy of one, or a picture of one, I would love to see it. Or if you have any other information or resources online, by all means, please send me an email to lou at wdwradio.com. They obviously don't offer these today. Fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know if they ever would um, give something like that away or, or offer that for sale, or even what kind of price tag they would put on it. So... Uh, that's going to do it for this week's emails. A little long, but I really do have so many more of your emails to get get to. I promise to keep them coming in the in the coming weeks. And I, by all means, please keep sending your emails to Lou at wdwradio.com, or you can call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. Thank you for tuning in once again this week, and I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to thank Jeff Pepper from 2719hyperion.blogspot.com, as well as my other guests, Fred Block from magicmeets.com, and Jason Zucker, cast member from the Sunset Club Couture Watch Shop at the Disney MGM Studios. Don't forget to get your entries in this week for the Walt Disney World Half Marathon Challenge Contest. Listen for the clues and more information on last week's show. Don't forget to visit our show notes page at www.radio.com for more information, links, and photos, as well as links to previous episodes of the show and our merchandise shop. If you're planning a Disney vacation, please be sure to also visit our friends at The Magic for Less Travel for a free, no-obligation quote. As you know, I give them my highest recommendation due to their free service, commitment to outstanding personal service, and of course, giving you the best possible prices and discounts 
visit the WDWRadio.com for a link to the Magic for Less travel. On upcoming shows, we're going to go on with more of our seven wonders, do more Disney scene investigations. We have lots of vacation planning information with the help of some more special guests, more of your emails, and so much more, including continuing with our Epcot retrospective series. Don't forget that I want the show to continue to be interactive, so send me email to lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. Be sure you come by our fun and friendly forums at disneyworldtrivia.com for discussions about all things Disney. And of course, if you like the show, please help spread the word, review the show on iTunes, and click on the voting buttons over at wdwradio.com's website. Thank you again for tuning in this week. I really appreciate you coming back. Hope you enjoyed the show and have a fantastic week. See ya! Hi, Lou. Hi, everyone. My name is Dean, and I am a WDW radio showaholic. It's been two days, six hours, and 37 minutes since my last show. Um, I, I don't listen every week, but... Uh, you know, I just, I can't stay away, and I start getting these cravings, and I have to go find the latest episode and listen to it. Then I just start binging, and I have to go back and listen to past episodes, and, and, uh, and you know, it, it's kind of ugly. I, uh, I have experimented with other shows, and have listened to other podcasts, and, and really like some of those as well, and I think I'm addicted to some of those, but... But definitely my uh, podcast of choice is WDW Radio Show. And uh, I just uh, just wanted to get that off my chest. Uh, thanks for all you do with the show, Lou. Thanks for the show. Take care. Hey, Lou. I was just listening to um, show number 14, and I realized that Sir Mickey's is actually based on the movie The Brave Little Taylor, which in the cartoon in which Mickey defeats a giant to win the hand of the of Princess Minnie. It was one of the most elaborate and expensive Mickey Mouse cartoons ever made. And I found this out from Birnbaum's 2003, The Official Guide. It's one of the old things I was flipping through and I realized that. Um, love the show. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Ted from Jacksonville, Florida. I was just listening to your show where you had the trivia contest with Cody Pepper. And you said that the song Golden Dreams is heard at the American Adventure. That is, in fact, false. The song is Golden Dream with no F. I know that um, increases the geek factor a little bit, but I just wanted to uh, let you know that I was listening. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, this is John Beal from Zionsville, Indiana. And I remember hearing on a previous Voices Behind the Magic that... uh. The voice of um, the ghost host at the Haunted Mansion also did some, like, book on CD recordings and stuff. And I rented a Scarlet Letter, which I'm supposed to read for school. But I got the I got the book on CD version. But And I am pretty sure that it's the same guy. And I looked it up, and it was. He was the, uh, he's the, the same person from... Donna Manchin is reading me a Scarlet Letter, and it's pretty cool. So, thanks for the great podcast. Uh, bye. Jello.